And this Go. ball in the air, deep right center Go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. And Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by Mile High Green Cross. Sign up for their loyalty program and receive 20% off your entire purchase once per month. I'm your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. And on this episode, we continue our conversation on Ken Burns' documentary on PBS called Baseball. We were in the middle of the seventh inning. Patrick Lyons, my mother Barbara Creaseman, and I having a conversation at this point about Casey Stengel and about to get into some of the analytics of what it was that he did and, and not just the fun things that he said, though those are always great to get into as well. So make sure you've cracked open a Breckenridge brew no matter what time of day it is. Uh, they got some new ones out there too, which I've seen, which look absolutely delicious in the sour department. You've got that 15-pack sampler. You know you're good to go. So crack open your Breck brew. Make sure you're nice and manscaped. And uh, we'll jump right back in here as we talk about Casey Stengel and analytics. The other thing that I really liked about his story was, uh, again, in arguments with uh, our good friends, Tracy Ringlesby and Manny Rondawa, the... Slightly elder of those two gentlemen will mention, you know, analytics are nothing new. Billy Bean did not invent this. And two people he's often brought up to me in conversation are Branch Rickey, who we've talked about, and Stengel, who we get into in this episode. So on the one hand, you can be like, hey, he went to New York. All of a sudden he had money and talent and he won more. What do you know? What a concept. But this. He didn't win. What was it like? He didn't go to seven straight <laughs> championships and win five out of 10 or whatever, like um, w- without coming up with some ideas on how to maximize winning baseball games, including platooning and yep, relief. I, like pitching. That. I mean, that's right. Those are still strategies that, that we're uh, understanding and implementing and trying to improve upon to this day. Yeah, so people that now, because you'll hear people say, can a pitcher pitch past the fifth inning or the sixth inning? What's wrong with them? And then you see this, and uh, yeah, and and different people playing different positions of platooning about Casey Stingle. I thought that was great to remind people that other people won doing this, but most people weren't doing it. Yeah, this was their era where, they won the most, you know, compacted, you know, championships. And what was referenced was that a guy would come to New York and really, you know, they gave credit to, to Stengel is that he would find some of these older players like, you know, Slaughter was, you know, a big one who, who played in New York at the end of his career. And as soon as they, they put on those pinstripes, 
they have just they tapped into something great and that was something that you know has has continued to happen it definitely happened in the in the late 90s and you see guys like scott brocious win an mvp and you know chad curtis play great we saw it last year not with dj lemayhu because we know how talented he uh he is uh and and was last year but look at what mike talkman ended up doing sure yeah that's what how great he played yeah. yeah And uh, and and their their third baseman, whose whose name is escaping me right now, Gio Urshela, who was just a cast off by Cleveland, Cleveland, and and he was right. fantastic for them at, at third base. They don't even need him now, so there really is something magical about the the pinstripes, and you began to see it in this era. Uh, era, they uh, Stengel led the Yankees to ten first place. Excuse me, nine first place finishes in 10 years and the only time he uh didn't or the only only uh spell where he didn't get to the, the world series there was in 1954 they finished in second place but they won 103 games wow. so you know that Jeez. they wanted the wild card at that point 1954 they wanted the wild card <laughs> brutal oh man yeah and i think probably more than any other uniform in pro sports putting it on makes you feel a little something. It just, there's a long history there and a long history of winning. A little taller, a little smarter. <laughs> well, I'm taller anyway. Uh, taller anyway. <laughs> another guy that we talked about briefly there. You, you expect to be a winner. And one of those uh -huh. winners who wore those pinstripes who we've touched on briefly but not for nearly enough time uh that that Patrick brought up was Yogi Berra one of my my favorite yankee uh, probably uh. ever i think i can easily <laughs> say that for me uh and and not just because i love phenomenal wordplay um but yeah i i've always had a few favorite yogiisms that weren't some of the more famous ones um, I, I read a, like a short book, uh, I think that was attributed to him, but I've probably still got just, it. Oh, you've still got that book. Okay. I think I've um, got a book. It's Yogi Bear's sayings or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's like little explanations. And one of them was, mm -hmm. he said when he was younger before baseball, uh, he had worked at like a call center or something like that. And somebody at, at, for a, a chocolate drink. And somebody asked if it was carbonated. And he said, no, ma'am, we're not even hyphenated. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I always thought that was an interesting one. And then the classic about going to order a pizza and the woman asking him if he wanted it cut into four pieces or eight. And he said, four, I don't think I could eat eight. <laughs> My my favorite one is uh, they're talking about a certain restaurant, and he says uh, nobody goes to that restaurant yeah. anymore. It's always too crowded. It's too crowded. Like, wait, what? Dad used to oh. say that about Vail, about Vail, Colorado. <laughs> and he was right. And he crowded. was right. Your father was right. <laughs> uh, so it's, true. It is exactly the same thing. <laughs> like we can't do yeah. that. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, it ain't over till it's over is is obviously the most yep. famous it, and classic. It's deja vu all over again. It's a big one. Mm. What you got, Mom? I was just going to say, one of the books I read 
uh, was called All My Octobers, and it's Mickey Mantle talking about all the playoff games. And mostly mm, they wow. went to the World Series and sometimes didn't. And so it doesn't really, you know, you get snippets of the season. But talking about Yogi is what reminded me because he was involved in most of those, maybe all of them, you know. And it was a really fun read. I loved that book to a friend who never gave it back to me. <laughs> Just remembering. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good friends, right? Oh, that's fun. Yeah. That... <laughs> um. So, yeah, obviously a, a great era for the Yankees, and it's one of those things that if you're not a Yankees fan, you can get tired of hearing. But it's sure. good to set all that stuff aside and just enjoy it and enjoy these characters. And and Yogi Berra was a great player, too. I, th- I think, you know, we, we all get caught up in it, and I love all the Yogi-isms. But the, the guy you know could play. catchers, right? Yeah. And he Always became a manager. Catchers. catchers, 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 right? That's right. He's he's the only catcher to win back to back MVP awards. You know, that there's right. there's something to that. And being a catcher that can hit, he, it's still hard. We'd like to know some. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I don't, I don't, hey, you you put it out there. I'm just I'm I report the facts. You're here to uh, comment. <laughs> uh, so another yeah. one, the next the next famous New York thingy person stuff and thing that I have on my list here <laughs> before we move on down to, to some other stuff is, of course, Bobby Thompson and the shot heard around the world. Maybe the most famous call in pro sports history, maybe certainly baseball history. Everybody knows. You know, the Giants win the pennant. The Giants win the pennant. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Patrick, you already told us a, your your kind of personal connection to this, at least. Um, but, uh, to, to, okay, I'll, I'll say the part that I said on Twitter, and then you, you <laughs> do it. <laughs> because, because I actually believe that both of these things are true, and they're not mutually exclusive. Maybe I sure. shouldn't have blown that for the... Maybe I should have pretended like we were fighting and then come together at the end. But kayfabe, come um, on, kayfabe, let's go. I know, I know. Uh, I I think that no matter who you are, this story of Bobby Thompson and the shot heard around the world and the Giants coming from all the way back to win the pennant is an incredible story, and I love. And it's been told in a lot of different ways and a lot of different things. It's it's in like a lot of fiction. It shows up in movies a lot. Aaron Sorkin has referenced it in multiple uh, shows. But I, I just think it's one of those necessary baseball things. Like if you're just, if you gave me 10 minutes to give you the most important moments in the history of baseball, this is one of the things I would mention. Yeah, it's 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 iconic. You know, there's no two ways about it. The uh, the one thing that's interesting that maybe the documentary talks about in the next chapter. I don't think it does actually. Is the relationship that Bobby Thompson and Ralph Branca ended up having after this? You know, they were on talk shows together, and when you know, imagine you give up a home run as iconic or really as dubious as as the one. Branca gave up to Bobby Thompson 
and and how it's just so soul crushing for your organization on the precipice of of going you know to the World Series when your your franchise hasn't won one you know uh, since since the dawn of the World Series in 1903 and you give up that home run you're just going to want to hide away and and yeah that that impacted his career but he would still show up and you know go places with Bobby Thompson and I think they even you know had a deal where they would they would both get paid the same amount so it was like you know what yeah i i they want me cuz i hit the home run and i know you gave it up but you know we'll we'll sign this picture together and we'll both kind of break even and you know i don't know how much of that was the kindness out of bobby thompson's heart or how much that was guilt for the fact that he uh he and the the giants uh according to the echoing green uh, a great novel by Joshua Prager, uh, how he investigated the 1951 season and, and how the Giants actually, you know, stole signs from the catchers using through the use of a telescope. So I'm, I'm not not sure if again if it's guilty or the kindness of out of his own heart, but you know that that does taint it. It, it doesn't actually taint it to me because I've always known this just as it is. And sure, the information came out you know, way later, it didn't come out until 2006, this book was published. And I'm sure people within the game knew those things and had heard that. But again, part of baseball is cheating, right, for better or worse. So I I don't I don't entirely know what to make of it. But uh, they they did cheat. And I'm I'm curious of of what your take is on that. uh, As far as as history goes, because nothing changed because of this. Bobby Thompson wasn't shamed. He wasn't wasn't banned from baseball. Giants didn't have to forfeit their championship. It's it's strange. It's strange the parallels between this and uh, the 2017 Houston Astros. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we maybe we don't talk about that today. <laughs> no, I I mean I I think it's fair. I'd I'd certainly have to like you know, read up on the evidence and all of that before I could draw a strong conclusion. But I I, I think it's totally fair to go back in hindsight and say, yes, that does taint it. And no, it doesn't change how important of a moment it was. It just becomes another part of the story. So, you you know, I, I don't know that I necessarily need to be convinced one way or the other. Um, Sure. I could be, I certainly could be. And, and, and it would, you know, turn the moment less of uh into less of a heartwarming one and into more of a, wow, uh, we got to talk about this thing. And, yeah. and, and I feel like it would be very similar to, you know, how I feel about the 1998 home run race, which Absolutely. I very much enjoyed at the time. And now I look back on it more in, you know, in different terms, but you still have to talk about it. And we, you know, will. (laughs) So it's, it's interesting. It's interesting with like, okay, now you have the, the, the shot heard around the world tainted, you know, cheating, but we find out about it 55 years later. So it's like, eh, eh, okay. Then we've got the night, the 1998 home run race. And we kind of find out about it a couple years later and it's like oh man that really that sucks man that really hurts and then we have 2017 astros we find out about it like almost immediately after because it's still going on in 2018 2019 and it's like off with their heads and it's 
it's interesting how we deal with information or grief within the passage of time, right? 55 years, eh, who cares? Three, four years, ah, oh, man, that was that really broke my heart about McGuire and Sosa. And now it's oh, yeah. pitchforks and, and torches. I mean, I think there were, I mean, there were torches and pitchforks, I think, for the steroids thing in the 90s. I remember there being pretty massive sure. outrage. To a lesser degree, but, but right, you're right. You're right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I buy that, that it was to a lesser degree. But I I see what you're saying. I will say I think a big part of that is because there's nothing you can do about, you know, the, the, we, we can't do anything to Bobby Thompson at this point, right, or the Giants. Um, I guess you could strike them, those wins from the record book if oh. you really want to. But, um, you know, when it's, when it's people who are still in the game, there's, uh, I think it's right to be a little bit like, we should do something about this. No, absolutely. Right. No, I agree with that. What, what's interesting is that uh, I don't know if it, you might be surprised, but there are actually 13 former members of the Brooklyn Dodgers who are still alive today. I recently oh researched this. Yes, Paul Paul Parker, uh, shout out our our president of a Rocky Mountain chapter of Saber. We were we were talking about this because he's reading uh, Boys of Summer by Roger Kahn, which which kind of goes through this era of Brooklyn Dodgers. I haven't read it myself, but I can't wait to read it. And it it, it it's just a fantastic book. And we were discussing like, oh yeah, there's probably not too many of them alive. Um, we, we both knew that Carl Erskine was alive. I actually have a book that I found here in Boulder at the bookworm. If you know that used bookstore, I was going through the sports, uh, the baseball section. And I, I opened up this hardcover book about, um, everything I learned from Jackie Robinson. It's something like that by Carl Erskine published about a decade ago. I opened it up and on the first page, it was actually signed by him. Carl Erskine. And I was like, okay, I'm buying this. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's, so that got our conversation going. And there's actually 13, I believe 13 members that are still alive. So I don't know if any of them were on the 51 season, but you can imagine possibly a reality in which maybe Rob Manfred is bored. He needs something to do. He takes something away from the, the New York giants. And then some 92 year old guy, he says, here you go. Here's, here's your ring for winning the, the 1951 national league. That would be, that would be interesting. That would be an interesting, Why not? interesting no. dimension for us to live in. <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, uh, we can't do that. Um, I'm trying here. Uh, 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 I, I could do it. I could do it. But so one of the things uh, that, that that actually leads me into is uh, speaking of uh, proper recognition was that this was the first decade where we really did start to get integration. And it's not just, you know, Jackie Robinson and one or two other people uh, that the, this episode didn't spend a whole lot of time on these guys. It actually ran through, I thought pretty quickly, uh, yeah. Roy Campanella, Ernie Banks spent a little bit more time on Hank Aaron, who I know we'll get back to. So, Again, I'm going to assume like as these guys start to achieve some milestones and uh, their careers come to a close as, a, as opposed to just getting started, we'll spend more time with them. The point I thought that was a little bit more interesting in that segment of the doc was, again, the, uh, this was one of the sort of bigger themes. You know, we've got people losing teams, but then other areas and other cities and fans gaining teams. Uh, and you've got the integration of baseball. So finally, something that never you know, should have been the way it was. 
Now we've got black players in Major League Baseball. But because of that, the Negro Leagues pretty much end up folding and, and going away. Most of those jobs disappear. And one of the people even remarked that, in fact, I think it was even just a statistic that once you know baseball was really fully integrated and, and there were black players on pretty much every team, most of them anyway, there were actually fewer black men who were professional baseball players. That's just, oh, that's, it's just, that's brutal, man. And, and I think it was a bucket. No, it was a different, it was a, it was a writer who talked about, it was another player. It was another player who just said, you know, some of us, well, we had a fun time doing it, but we just weren't quite good enough to go. We said we wanted to be included amongst the best of the best and they let us in and, you know, only some of us were the best of the best and the rest of us had to find something else to do. And I was like, damn, no, that's, <laughs> that's brutal. It is. And I think Buck O'Neill said it really well, though. You know, we paved the way for these guys to get there. If they hadn't played ball, if they hadn't taken up on themselves to play baseball and develop a Negro League, when would those guys have gotten into play? You know? They did it. They they uh, worked hard at it, and they were good, and they drew big crowds on their own. Yeah, it it was probably interesting to some fans to know that Hank Aaron actually, you know, as as a teenager, but actually played in the Negro Leagues. It, you know, for a guy who, you know, played into the seventies when he finally broke Babe Ruth's record, and you know, was enshrined, I believe, in the nineteen eighty class uh, of the Hall of Fame. And who's just kind of been a staple of, of the game and uh, this dignitary, you know, and thrown out the first pitch at, you know, the World Series in, in, in 1999 with Atlanta. He's just kind of been, he's been around forever, but he's not that old. And it's like, well, no, that the, the Negro Leagues still had a place for a very long time. And, you know, just when things started to seem fair, right, and there were going to be more opportunities for African Americans within Major League Baseball. You know the the rug got pulled out from under them, and their and their league, you know, vanished. It was very sad. All right, so let's talk about something that's not quite so sad. Uh, first thing that we're going to talk about that's not quite so sad is one of my new favorite things in the entire world, and that is Strava Craft Coffee. I had some this morning. I had some yesterday morning. You know what I did the morning before that? Had Strava Craft Coffee because <laughs> it's delicious it's way better for you than that regular coffee that's going to get you all jittery or have some kind of crash later on or increase your anxiety when this actually has been proven to decrease your anxiety because it's infused with cbd it's non-psychoactive it's not going to make you feel weird and crazy in fact it's going to make you feel less weird and less crazy it's less psychoactive than just normal coffee <laughs> so purchase it online for 20 percent off using the code dnvr20 make sure to tag us uh, when you get it send us a, a little tweet we will make sure to retweet that uh, they're really built for this kind of thing that you, you gotta order it online anyway it'll be sent right to your door it ships very very quickly uh, it's been known to help long-term migraines decreasing anxiety arthritis IBS, all of that stuff. Uh, I am a 100% convert. I cannot recommend it highly enough. So remember to purchase online for 
20% off using the code DNVR20. And so the other more lighthearted and fun thing we're going to talk about is Bill Veck, baseball's <laughs> Jackie Moon. Good. Yeah. Veck as in wreck. Uh, so, okay. Uh, yay or nay? <laughs> Quick yay or nay? <laughs> nay. Yay. See? Ooh, we are split. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Was that your prediction, Drew? Uh, yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> and the yeah. ABA? Yeah. Right? The ABA, I think, is a yay. We're all yay. A yay on I'm yay on ABA. Sure. Yay. Yay. I'm nay on yeah. it. Yeah. Um, uh. So, the, yeah, bringing a uh, little person, I don't know what the... <laughs> Um, the, you know, there's an interesting conversation to be had probably another time about some of the words they've been comfortable using in the documentary. Uh, um, but that's neither here nor there for, for our purposes of talking baseball. But I don't know. Did Does this turn the game of baseball bringing a, a little person? Is it a sideshow? Is this ridiculousness? It goes too far? Yeah. Mom, you go first. Mom, 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 you 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 give the negative, and they'll let we'll let Patrick spin a positive Uh, light. Well, in the long run, it was just silly and kind of whatever, and yeah, you do it, and it's a thing for a day. But if that had become a continual thing, that would have been, I think, really bad, you know. So, um, but just really, this is what you got to do to get people to go see baseball. Come on. Yeah, I, I, yeah. When I was when I <laughs> when I was younger, you know, it, it's it's a piece of trivia, and it still is. Like it's 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 trivia. It's something that has little to no value, right? It's trivia, right. Uh, right? And so I still like it for that. I still like it for the purposes of the fact that I think he wore the number like one eighth or something weird like that. Um, he didn't even have an actual <laughs> full number. <laughs> one eighth. <laughs> Some I, I look it up, um, okay. but as a as a person who, you know, has gotten older and really likes to consider uh, minorities, consider people that are on the the fringes of society, I look at that and I say, you know, you know that that that's not that's not right. That obviously is not anything that would happen in the game today, which is great to see. Right. Um, but yeah, so it, it's it's a fun piece of trivia. Other, but other than that, you know, no, no real comments. You know, Bill Veck was just kind of a, a minor league baseball league owner, but just in the big leagues. You know, he had to get creative in these <laughs> these small market towns. But with money, up, but with money, yeah. Um, <laughs> St. Louis was a small town back then. I was gonna say, didn't Charlie Finley try to change, make the balls a different color for a while, or something weird like that? Or there was a game. The baseballs, yeah, or... something like optic, optic yeah. green, and the uh-huh. you know, the bases yeah. to light up, things of that nature. He paid he paid players extra for fit, you know, if they had facial hair, and you know that'll that'll get discussed. I'm I'm sure in the in the 70s uh, portion of baseball, but you know, Vec had to, had to get creative. He had demolition disco night. That was also him. The 50 cent beer night, where you know riots oh are breaking out everywhere. So. He had to he had to get creative, but one thing that was mentioned is is kind of something that uh, I don't know who it was attributed to 
maybe it was Connie Mack that you make more money with a losing team. I think yes. it was Connie Mack. And he yes. talked about like, Hey, you know what? Even if we're not good, we can still make a profit. Cause if we spend too much on players and they don't, you know, if they're not successful, we're not going to make any money. Even if we've got a window of contention and even if we got a couple really good free agents coming up and this is our chance with a lot of good young players, maybe we should go out and buy some starting pitching or maybe double down and get some more relief pitchers and make some big trades and trade our prospects. If it doesn't work, we lose money. So some teams may operate like that still to this day. Um, but we, we know it was true when Connie Mack owned the uh, the Philadelphia A's in the 10s and the 20s. We know it's true in the 50s with Bill Veck, and it's probably true today still. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Sell sure off is. those we'll people when they become really good and they came through your farm system, they're really good and they get expensive and you sell them off. So you make money back to keep going. And I think Connie Mack said fourth was about good. You know, different era, but yeah, you're pretty good. You're always yeah. in contention, but hey, you always get oh, rid wow. of the expensive guys. And nowadays with five team divisions, finishing in fourth place is not so bad. Or rather, it's not very hard. It's not very hard to make sure you're not in fifth. Yeah. Yeah, it's not so bad. Uh, Rockies did it last year. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Right. True. True. I didn't realize that. Uh, I didn't realize not in that. last place. Not in last place. Yeah, baby. Um, so one of the the black players of the era that they did spend a little bit more time on in this first era of integration was Willie Mays. Um, as as you would have to, right? <laughs> as <laughs> as was necessitated by the quality of his play on the baseball field. Um, and this is where we get to talk about the catch, maybe the most famous baseball catch of all time. I'll get the naysayer stuff out of the way where me and Bob Feller both go, not the best catch of all time. It's not, it's not the best catch of all time. I love that Bob Feller was just like, what is not even the best catch I'd seen, you know, that year. Uh, but you know, uh, Still probably the most famous, one of the most famous pieces of baseball footage in history. And as he mentioned, the fact that it was on TV, and that's the other sort of element of this era we didn't talk about. It's the real rise of television. So I started with mom on the last one. Uh, I'll start with you, Patrick, as a throwback to the East Coast guy. Does this legend, is this the greatest catch of all time where you come from? Yeah, I would say it is. I, I would say it is. just <laughs> just because of just because of the moment of, of of when it when it took place. You know, there there's other catches that are probably more phenomenal and that would take your breath away. You know, Gary Matthews Jr. scaling up a wall and then having to turn completely around and just almost throwing his hand up. You know, and making a, a David Tyree type catch again. Another reference for the football fans out there, but. And, and and there's even a Japanese player in a game who went and he climbed on top of a fence and he made a grab with with like you know basically standing atop the fence and that that's that's on video somewhere. Um, but you know when you when you think about the context of of what of what was happening in that game, it being the World Series, like you said, it being on television, 
And and the fact that he had the wherewithal to get that ball back into the infield too. It wasn't just the catch. It was that he grabbed it, was able to, to spin around and fire back into the infield. Really showed the wherewithal of you know a young player who's only 24 years old at that time. Uh, had 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 missed some time to, due to the service, but you know, it really was only about his fourth year in the major leagues. So, it's it's a pretty impressive catch, given the circumstances and 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 given the player. We know, I know, Drew is gonna is gonna know this, and I'm Barbara. I'm sure you do too. Is like Jim Edmonds was a guy who made so many outstanding grabs, so many, and started getting the reputation for like. Wait a minute. Everyone knows he's just timing it out to lay out, but that doesn't take away from it, right? I don't think that takes away from any of the sprawling grabs Jim Edmonds made in his career, whether it was with the Angels or Cardinals or even later on his career with the Padres. Like Jim Edmonds' catches were A plus, and, and this Willie Mays catch is his tops, his tops all time. Yeah, no, Arma. it's not. Over to you. And, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> not, all right. No, no, Nolan Arenado on the it, tarp in San it Francisco? Was, <laughs> it was the greatest catch of its time and, okay. uh, you know, that, that we had seen. And I'm, I'm more than happy to grant it that. But um, as is often the case in professional sports, the great thing, and I actually think that it was Bob Costas who did an extremely eloquent job of uh, explaining how one of the big things about that was that we had just never seen anything like that before. Right. Um, and oftentimes it's the case in sports that somebody does something that we've never seen before. And that sort of creates this belief that it can be done. And so people do it again or improve upon it. And you even mentioned one of the guys, Jim Edmonds did a more impressive version of this thing. And so I think ultimately uh, over the years, there's been uh, a number of catches that have ultimately exceeded this one. I think of uh, Gary Matthews and when he was with the Rangers, Gary Matthews Jr., excuse me, I believe it is, um, going way over the fence uh, to Rob. That's one of the best catches that I've ever seen. Uh, there have been uh, a number of Ken Griffey ones. So, I mean, if you're just grading, you know, I guess there's an added element of context of uh, the importance of the game. What are we grading on here? How do we get into the rubrics of it? Greatest catch of all time is always a really fun debate. And maybe it would be fun to uh, create some kind of rubric and go through it and get some candidates out there and see if we right. can come up with it. Because, uh, yeah, this one I think has historical importance and and that matters and and sort of game context importance and that really matters um but in terms of imp pure impressiveness uh no i think there there are some that surpass it but not many which really does say something sure. uh, about its quality and to use a baseball term it's Maze's grab being the the number one catch of all time, it's not necessarily a slam dunk, you know, to use a baseball phrase. It's it's there's there's gonna be other ones that are up there with it. And I think, you know, after you grade it out, it'll it, it will come ahead, but not by a not by a huge margin, right? Because there are just there's some great plays that have been made in baseball history defensively. This is up there, but I wouldn't say 
it's uh, you know it's a it's a sixty two yard field goal. Again, to stay on the topic of baseball reference, <laughs> <laughs> but the turn and throw, you know, really yeah. did make a difference on that. Yeah, the, I mean, you got to take a lot of things into account. That's for sure. The the wherewithal, the you know how heady of a play was it. You know, I always dock points for things like making the mistake to begin with. So there's a famous Jonas Cespedes throw uh-huh. uh, and um, a Manny Machado play from recent memory that are considered some of the best plays of the last decade. And I'm like, yeah, but they messed up first where this one doesn't have that. You know, he uh, perfect break, perfect route uh, to a ball hit deep in a place where that kind of catch typically wasn't made. So you got to take all that stuff into account. And I actually think, and and I may finish out at least my final thoughts on, on this, and, and then I'll get final thoughts from both of you. But I really enjoyed in this part of it, when explaining the kind of improbability of the catch, when Bob Costas started getting back into the kind of the angles of the game and all of the calculations that take place while the ball is in the air. And... I just loved this part about it because I think it's sort of something we all understand subconsciously, but don't always put words to or, or thoughts or feelings to is that whether it's the expectation that doesn't come true and you're, you're brokenhearted or you think it's going to go out and then it does go out and you're relieved or the guy maybe has a chance to make the play. But usually those depend is get to get back to our rubric of, you know, plays in baseball. Um, What was unlikely to happen. What, what was something you'd never seen before? And we're obviously treated to a third baseman who does stuff like that a lot. It kind of blows your mind um, how regularly he can do it. But uh, I love that just that calculation, all the different people involved in trying to figure out, okay, the ball has this kind of trajectory and this kind of exit velocity. And that guy's got decent speed, but that guy's got a pretty good arm and well, the cutoff man doesn't have the best of an arm, and this catcher has had maybe some issues blocking the plate this year. And I don't know, third base coach was holding up the stop sign, but guy on third thinks he's got the speed, so he's got a chance. And all of that has to happen like that. And it's just, um, it, it, I think it's one of my favorite things uh, about our game. So I love that he articulated that. It's very, it's very much the, the beautiful game. And, you know, there, there were, there were a lot more moments too in, in this episode, like obviously Don Larson's perfect game, um, you know, which, which I referenced my, my favorite part of that is just Yogi Berra is more, way more excited than Don Larson, just jumping up into his arms. Right. I feel like is one of the most iconic, you know, baseball images. And, and I think in, in a lot of ways sums up Yogi Berra's, you know, somewhat childhood innocence. I, I was disappointed that there wasn't more about Ernie Banks. You know, when I was younger as a kid, hey, yeah, he got he got referenced. But getting older, you know, understanding his impact in the game, it's like, ooh, I would I would have liked to have seen more about him. I, I get it. The Cubs didn't do anything the entire time he was with them. Frank Robinson's a guy that I imagine next inning uh, the eighth inning, they'll they'll be a little bit more about you know the the first player to win MVP awards in in both leagues, the first black manager of all time. He's a guy that I would have loved to have heard more about, and finally a guy. If, if we're sticking with the the 
Negro League ball players, Kurt Flood, who should get he 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 most definitely will um, get a lot more highlighting. And he was a guy that I didn't know or care too much about when I was younger. But I've I've since read a fantastic book called The Well Paid Slave, all about what Kurt Flood did. And I and I firmly and strongly believe that someday Kurt Flood will actually find himself into the Baseball Hall of Fame one day for what he did, what he sacrificed for the betterment of the MLB Players Association. And and I certainly hope so. And uh, I think we saw an inkling of it. I'm hoping we do more of that. And I wondered mm-hmm. if, because I haven't seen the latest that they did, if if that'll be more prominent because he certainly is extremely important for the baseball players overall. Yeah, that that's, um, and, and not just baseball players, like really just kind of workers in America, like Precisely, his, his yeah. impact actually goes that wide. So yeah. To remind us the book again, Patrick, what's the name of the book? It's called a well-paid slave. I, I don't know who the author is off the top of my head, but it was, it was fantastic. It does get bogged down in some legalese, but I mean, I, if you want to understand, you know, why Nolan Arenado is getting paid two hundred, you know, fifty million dollars, and you know why free agency is so valuable to these players, like a, a Trevor Bauer, it's you know it, it didn't exist before Kurt Flood finally stood up and said, "Someone's got to take a stand, and it's it's going to be me." And I, and I think Jackie Robinson kind of paved the way for Kurt Flood to do. I, I feel like there was, you know, Jackie Robinson even spoke at the at the court, you know, at, at, during the trial and whatnot. And I think I think he kind of laid the groundwork too because after the '57 season, uh, a deal was actually agreed. And I, I would have imagined this would have been in here. I was really shocked it wasn't, but a trade was agreed uh, upon between the Dodgers and the Giants and. Robin, Jackie Robinson was going to be traded to the New York Giants, and he ultimately just decided, "No, I'm I'm going to retire because I'm, I'm I'm done with baseball. I'm done being treated like a, a piece of property." And you know, he had he had some you know sponsorship deals in place, and he even he even kind of usurped the Dodgers a little bit, and he sold his his retirement story to a magazine, and they got it out when he retired, not the Dodgers. So that was kind of a, a cool way that he you know stuck it to him a little bit, not major. But he kind of said, "No, now I'm a I'm a free man, you know, in, in more ways than one." And and that all that plays into Kurt Flood, that plays into the first class of of free agents, and ultimately what we have in all of professional sports. All right, I don't think we're gonna find a, a better place to end than that. So I will just say thank you, everyone, for listening in to this episode. Make sure you're following everyone on social media you're subscribing to the podcast and to the dnbr.com get some cool swag i think hats are on sale yeah. this week so get 20, a hat like 20 bucks. yeah Woo. 20 bucks for a hat those lids are fire i said all of those words correctly i think um <laughs> i really enjoy uh, both of mine in fact the the confidence they've given me has turned me into a hat person in general. That plus the fact that I'm losing all my hair. But other than that... I told you uh, you were a hat guy. You doubted. I, know. I said, you got I, this, dude. You totally did. And and that was a helpful <laughs> bit of advice 
that I ignored until a later date. And so um, I highly recommend you go get one of those DNVR hats. Um, and also quick shout out to everyone who's uh, joined the DNVR gaming community. We've had a lot of fun over there. Uh, the NHL tournament has been crazy. They're doing a Rocket League tournament now. So if wow. you're a gamer or if you're even just semi-interested, if you're gaming curious, uh, check out our Twitter and our Twitch channel for uh, DNVR Gaming. Thank you all for continuing to be absolutely awesome. We will continue to be absolutely Patrick Lyons, Drew, and Barbara Creesman. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.